back when the dinosaurs were on the earth, um, I was in junior high. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, in those days, we had a thing called PE class, which you actually, like, did stuff, you know. It's kind of changed through the years. Um, my junior high was from seventh grade through ninth grade, then you went into high school. And, and going into high school, of course, was the big sports, football and baseball, basketball, that kind of thing. So my junior high was a feeder into one of these schools that, that basically said, we have this system that if we can introduce you as a gold, um, they're, the coaches in high school are going to pay more attention to you. Then there's silver, and then there's bronze, and then there's like, you know, mauve and all that kind of stuff. But um, but the idea was to be gold. And, and so you had certain requirements to accomplish weightlifting and how far you could throw a ball and track and field type stuff. And one of the things that was coming down for me in the ninth grade was uh, we had this thing called the 600-yard dash, which I don't, I doubt that they do that anymore. Um, and it was just long enough to be too long to run as fast as you can, but it was um, something that you, you know, you had to give it a lot. And uh, the guy who would win in our class every stinking time, I've got over it since then, but every stinking time, <laughs> was, a, was a kid named Jim Haxton. And um, he had this way of, as soon as it was on the go, he would take off as fast as he could. He'd, he'd get out way in front of everybody, and the rest of us would just stay in the pack, and we were too tired to catch him, and he would just coast on in. Across the finish line, he'd win. He was the fastest guy in our class. But uh, it came to my notice that if I were going to be gold going into high school, I had to come in at least third in our class in the 600-yard dash. And so I was I was trying to get in shape and all that kind of thing, and you know, a ninth grader, whatever that means is, you know, I'd take two laps around the refrigerator in between commercials and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but when it came time to to run, uh, Jim took off, and, and he was way out in front of everybody. It was basically two laps around this track that we had. He took off. He was way out in front of everybody, and I'm going, oh, no, I I don't think I can beat Jim. Nobody's ever beat Jim that I know of, but I can at least come in second or I have to come in second or third. So as we made one lap around, I thought, I'm going to do what Jim does. I'm going to I'm going to run out so fast and far in front of this pack that they won't be able to catch me. They'll get disheartened. And so I just took off thinking I, I may poop out before I get there, but I'm going to give it all I have. Well, I started just gaining on Jim like crazy. I mean, and I, I don't even know what got into me, but it was just, I was going, and, and I'm closing in, and he's halfway around, and I, I'm, I'm closing, he's three-quarters around, and I'm closing in more and more and more, and I'm not tired, and I'm just giving it all I have. And um, he does an interesting thing. He looks over his shoulder, and he sees me coming. And uh, and he, this is back in the day when, when uh, uh, I lived in Southern California, and he was just kind of a surfer dude, and his hair just kind of went... You know, it was just, and when he ran, it just, you know, it's just, and, and I had frizzy hair, and I don't have any bangs, and now I don't have any hair, but I, when I get to heaven, you'll see me running, and my hair will be just, and he's just running like that, and he, and he looks back over me, and, and his hair falls down over his eyes, you know, and he, he, he's running, he looks back over there, and his hair comes falling down over his eyes, and I knew as soon as he started looking around like that, I got him, and I, and I, I gave it all I had, and I thought maybe I'd just barely beat him at the, at the line, I, I beat him by deck. 20 paces or whatever, and I was the hero of my class. It's the only time I've ever won a race in my life, I think. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was so great. But, but right when I knew I had him was when his hair went, and he turned around and he looked at me. And all of a sudden, he knew, and I knew, I'm gaining, and I got you. 
um, our coach took us off to the side after all that and started talking to the class. And, and our coach recognized that as well. And he said, he, when you guys are running in a, in a race, don't be looking at the person behind you. Don't be looking at your competition, whether it's a 100-yard dash, 600 yards, a mile, whatever. Don't, because if you're asking yourself, can I go faster? Maybe I should go faster. Can I push a little bit harder? You're asking the wrong question. You get to the finish line as fast as you can. Give it all you have no matter where you are. And don't worry about the people around you. That's the message of Paul in the book of Philippians. He, he uses an athletic metaphor to talk about his Christian life, his walk with Jesus. And, and not only laying out, this is the way I do it, but hey, this is the way we ought to do it. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the third chapter now of Philippians. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, there's some in the back or there's a little thing that you can follow along, notes and stuff. But um, here, here's what he says in verse 12. And listen, listen to these, these words like strain and press on that he gives. It says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Press on, straining, leaning into, giving it all you have. If you're going to follow Jesus, give it all you have. Now, here's the interesting thing and an important distinction. He's not talking about striving and straining and pressing in order to somehow gain salvation, somehow, somehow to get a ticket to heaven, somehow to, uh, to do enough good and work hard enough to get God to love you and not judge you and, and, and make you so you can go to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He, he's very clear in all his writings that it's grace that saves us. It's a gift of God that saves us. In fact, if you go up earlier in that chapter... He just talks about if, if anybody can boast about doing good things, it's me. I mean, I, I, I just, I don't want, you know, in a humble way, I'm going to boast without boasting. And he just, in verse 5, says, you know, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which means um, he, he did all, he did the important ritual and followed the great tradition that was needed to make him a, a, a child of God in those days. He, he, and, and sometimes don't we kind of hang on to rituals and traditions? Yeah, well, I was baptized, you know, I, I took communion, I, I, you know, little ritual stuff. And he says, I was, I was of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. And he kind of hangs with his race. He, the race, pulls the old race card. I'm the chosen people. And not only the chosen people, you mean like all Jews go to heaven kind of thing is what we're hoping for. I'm of the Benjamites, which is like the, the, the primo tribe of the 12 tribes. These, this is the favored tribe. This is the tribe that stayed with Judah when everybody else took off during during the dispersion. They, this is the tribe that had the warriors that were first in line when they. This is the tribe who Saul, the king, came from, who Paul was named after. I'm a Benjamite. Don't we kind of sometimes hang on with with some of that? You know, I. It might even be uh, just an, I'm an American. You know, that's for some of us that I'm an American. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. It, or or ever since my granddad was a pastor. My mom was a Christian. My grandma prayed a lot. You know, hopefully I can hang on to their, you know, that kind of thing. He's bragging about his, his heritage and, and his race. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
I mean, some of the Hebrews tried to become like Greeks in, in the Roman culture and all that kind of stuff. I stayed true. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, like, like he's almost holding his denominational thing. You know, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm, you know, I'm whatever denomination you want to stick in there. It's like the old thing when you go into heaven and Peter is showing everybody around and goes to one room and everybody's sitting there real quiet. He goes, shh, that's the fill-in-your-blank denomination. That's... You know, that's the Lutheran. They think they're the only ones in heaven. You don't, don't let them know that we're here, kind of thing. Um, here's Paul. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. If, it's just a who I am kind of thing. Um, in regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. You know, usually we think of Pharisees as hypocrites. I'm a Pharisee. There are a lot of legitimate Pharisees who, who, who gave it all to follow God. Kept every law. Worked as hard as they could. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. When you talk about passion, when we thought that Christ was the enemy and the church was the problem, I, I gave it all to kill those guys. That's how passionate I am. And he, he wants to talk a little bit about who he is and what he's accomplished. In fact, he says, for righteousness and legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I was faultless. You know, I don't know about it, if you want to get on the brag line, but that kind of pretty much covers it all in it. Whatever, whatever you think you're about, I'm, I'm faultless. Anybody else want to join in on that one? Faultless. Can't do it. And then he just says, compared to Christ, compared to faith in Christ, what Christ did for me, that's all loss. It's all rubbish. I mean, if anybody could brag about what they've done for God, it was Paul. And he says, no, I don't do it. In fact, he just says, the way Christ got a hold of me, Christ came first and got a hold of me, and I get a hold of him. I grab a hold of him. And I run this race. I live this life. In the same way when, when Paul says, you know, by grace you're saved through faith, not of works lest anyone should boast, he follows that up in the next verse and says, but we're the workmanship of God. We are, we are created to do the works of God. We're here for a reason. So we, we don't work our way into heaven, but when we receive what Christ has taken hold of us with grace, we start to wake up to the point, I'm on earth for a reason. I'm on earth for, I'm here for a purpose. If not, God would just take me to heaven right then, but he's got something for me to do. Join this race. And so when you join in this race, there's a couple of ways to look. And uh, the first one is to look up so we know which race to run. Look up so we know which race to run. Take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There are a lot of races to run. You know, there's the rat race. Um, some of us are involved in that pretty strong. There's NASCAR races where you go around and around and around for 500 miles and end up right where you started, you know, those, those kind of races. <laughs> Never take another turn, just get dizzy and whatever. No wonder they beat each other up afterwards. But, it, it, you know, there, there's all kinds of races. But, but he says, there's, a, there's another kind of race that I want. And this, you, to consider, this, it's the race that, that, that Jesus puts us in. If, if you can recognize that, that you're here for a purpose, if you can look up and find out what that is, that, that it'd be horrible to, to, to end your life in the last day and to recognize my life meant absolutely nothing. I have nothing to show for it. And, and I think what he's addressing in this case, I know it just sounds really weird, but in those days, some people would receive the grace, the gift of Jesus Christ, a ticket to heaven, if you would, and then sit and never do another blessed thing in their life. Can you imagine anybody ever doing that? Just, no, just sit there and, okay, wait till heaven comes. 
And what he's wanting them to recognize, like we all know, that we're here for a purpose. You are following Jesus for a reason. You are in this church for a reason. There's a mission given. You look up and find it. What does God have for me to do? Now, he has stuff for general stuff, you know, the great commandment and the great commission. He wants us to be closer to him. He wants us to, to, to follow him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to be able to share the good news wherever we go. Those, those are things that, that all of us are called to. But in the context of that, there's something for each of us that fills that, that, that specifically takes us to that point. And it could be in a spotlight. It could be behind the scenes. But it's something God has, has put you here to do. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? If I'm your workmanship, if I'm, if I am this, this gift of, of, of your people to the church to this world, what, what would you have me do? It's a, it's a huge question. It's not one that's answered easily. It's not one that you answer once and it's, it's that way forever necessarily. It's one that should keep us constantly seeking and looking. For some of us, it might be, you know, it's going to feed hungry people or it's going to, going to take water to those who are thirsty or clean water to places that have horrible, dirty water. It might be justice kind of things. It might be confronting human trafficking. It might be dealing with the HIV epidemic. It might, it might be huge stuff like that. It might be as simple as I'm going to teach children or I'm going to invest in, in teenagers. It might be I'm going to use my administrative gifts to help a ministry or help a church. I, might be I'm going to lead a small group. Might be I'm going to pray. I'm going to be part of prayer. There are thousands of things. But God has something for each one of us to do. And what I love about this third chapter is he introduces the whole third chapter with this thing called joy. Hey, rejoice with me. Have joy. Remember, remember we talked about how to be miserable? Here's how you have joy. One thing is to find out why you're here on earth and what God wants you to do. And the greatest fulfillment you'll have, the greatest, the greatest sense of peace you'll have is when you know you are right where God wants you to be and you're doing what he wants you to do and you're answering the calling. You, you have a career to get paid, but you have a calling and, and it's the reason you were made. You're made for your calling. You're paid for your career. doesn't mean every one of us is full-time pastors. It means every one of us has something God can do to use us and work. So, so to start, before you ever jump into this race, you're at, the, you're at the blocks getting ready to take off, and you look around, and you first you look up and you say, God, before I start this race, is this the race you're calling me to? What do you want me to do? What would you have me do? Greatest joy fulfillment comes. Well, one of the things that happens when you get to running the race to strain and to press on and everything is a lot of us do like Jim Haxton did with me. We look over our shoulders to see who's following us and chasing us. We look over the back, and most of us probably don't have hair necessarily, guys that have hair that comes down, but we, we, we try to see what's back there. And before long, if we're spending more time looking at who's behind us or what's behind us, we lose out crossing the line like God wants us to cross. And a lot of us have a lot of past that just kind of hangs there. Um, I remember uh, um, hearing a, a guy talk one time. He said, there are, some, there are some bads in our life. Now, there are some goods in our life in the past as well. But the good, Paul just addressed earlier on when he said, you know, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm faultless. I mean, those are good things. 
that in comparison to Christ, not so good, kind of bad. In fact, he finally just says it's rubbish. doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means they're re- Think of it like this, with the good stuff in our life that you can accomplish on your own, your, your, your strong stuff that you've done. Um, you're sitting down at a table at Thanksgiving and you eat helping after helping after helping of the best of everything. And then like four pieces of pumpkin pie. And when it's all over with, you I mean, you are filled up to like here. And someone comes up to you with a plate of leftovers and says, would you finish this? And you go, oh, oh, get it. Oh, get it out of my sight. It's good food. Very good food. In fact, it looked really good just a few hours ago. But you are so filled up that it looks like it might as well be rubbish. Oh, no, I oh, ooh, don't even. Oh. That's what Paul says. There's good stuff that I did. All the things I meant, that's good stuff. Compared to Christ, I am so filled up with Christ. When Christ got a hold of me, he filled me up so much that all that good stuff looks like rubbish compared. Sometimes we have to just leave the good stuff behind because Christ is, is, is greater, it's better, he's more profit in Christ. But often it's the bad stuff. Here's, the, here's what I learned from this one guy. There's my bad, there's your bad, and then there's just bad in our past. My bad is where I mess up. It's where, you know, all of us have sinned and fallen short. All of us have done stupid stuff, sinful stuff. We've made wrong choices. There's been results of those wrong choices. Or maybe we were just rebellious. Maybe we just, you know, we shook our fist at God or whoever, and we just did whatever we wanted to do. And the the way when, when those things happen, there's always consequences of that. And, um, and, the, you know, the remedy is repent. You're, you're going that way in the race. You turn around and you go towards Christ. But what happens as Christ forgives us and he lays hold of us with grace and we're all brand new, what so often happens is even though he's forgiven us, often we don't forgive ourselves. Often we have this thing called guilt and shame that just hangs on us. Just hangs on us. And you want to run the race and you want to press on and you want to strain on, but you just you have this sense of, I'm not worthy, or I've messed up, or God can use me anymore, or use me ever. I've just, I've blown it. And there's my bad that keeps me from running the race. And sometimes we just drag that around with us everywhere we go. Then there's your bad, or the bad that someone does to you. There are people that, that have hurt you, that have maybe have abused you. There have been words that have been spoken. Maybe it's even in a physical thing. There's been rejection. There's been words of a coach or a parent. There's been all kinds of stuff. And it's, it just tears into who you are. It's, it's something that you didn't do to yourself. Someone did that to you. And you carry that with you. Either you're angry or sometimes vengeance is all you can think of. You can't think of running that race and going on whatever God would call you because that face of that person who hurt you so much just kind of just bears down on you. All you want to do is get revenge or at least get them back somehow or at least hope something happens to them that's going to mess them up and mess their life up. Because you, and, and the only way to get out of that is, is to forgive. It's, it's to be able to let go. It doesn't mean you're going to have a good relationship necessarily with that person. It just means that you can run the race free, that you let go of that past which stalks you and haunts you and holds you from going on. There's stuff I do. There's stuff others do to me. Then there's just stuff. They're just bad. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but there are times when, when life's tough, when, when things just happen, when you, when you hate more than anything else, but it just, you know, bad stuff happened to you. And when bad stuff happens, uh, often what happens to us is we get this sense of regret. Um, I wish, I wish I would have done differently. I wish I wouldn't have showed up there. I wish, I wish I wouldn't have taken that job. I, I wish I wouldn't have gotten in that relationship. I wish I would have gone a different direction. I, I wish I would never, you know, what, and there's this regret that just hangs on us because there are some bad things that happen. And, and until we can finally let go of that and recognize it, the bad happened. There's nothing we can do about it. But we can't let the power of the bad, the power of the past, keep us. And so Paul says, strain forward, press on, lean on, forget what's behind, and go on. Well, here, here's what I found. I don't know if it's, if it's true with you or not, but I don't have to be like Jim Haxton and look over my shoulder to see the past. I don't have to keep looking behind me to find the past. What I have found is the past resides a lot closer than that, like right here. You know, and, and whenever I think about running, whenever I think about being used by God, whenever I answer his call and be what he wants me to be, I've got voices. You know, not weird, not in a weird way, but I've got, well, sometimes in a weird way, actually, but I've got these voices that, and sometimes it's my voice. You idiot. You jerk. What in the world? Man, you screwed up. You, who do you think you, you, can you believe what you've done? You know, that, Oftentimes, it's, it's someone else's voice. It's it's the voice of the person that hurt me. It's it's the voice of a person who who told me I couldn't or I, or they didn't believe in me. It's a voice who, who questioned me. It's 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 for some of us a voice of a parent that maybe even be dead and gone that we could never quite reach the level that they wanted. A voice of a coach or whatever. It's a voice of someone else that says, "Hey, you remember this? You remember that? You remember that?" It's it's that other voice. Sometimes it's the voice of the enemy. It's just the voice of the one who wants to trip us up and remind us of what our past is. And the power of that that just kills us. I have on your, on your outline a little, uh, a little thing that's been put together that kind of answers those voices. Now, it's, it's a process of working with some of this stuff. And sometimes you need a Christian counselor to kind of work with you. But there's power in God's word that helps you to see how Christ sees you. Since, since he took a hold of you. How does he see you? What's the truth of, of who you really are, not the voices of your past and the power of it? And so there's some scripture that just kind of contradicts you. You were told, maybe maybe not verbally told, uh, maybe told, but just the way you were, you, were, you were treated. Maybe you were told. Maybe you were told by your parents, um, you're not wanted, or you were a mistake, you were an accident. I don't, you know, I, you, whatever. Or you were told by somebody that as they rejected you, and you felt... I, I'm just not, I'm not loved. I'm unlovable. In John 3.16, one that we memorized maybe years and years ago, it says, God so loved the world. I don't put your name in there. God so loved Don. God so loved you. And I, I love because in our vernacular today, so becomes such a big word. You know, I'm so, and I just, I just emphasize that God so loved you. So loved you. That he sent Jesus. That he gave you the greatest gift. Who gave his life. So that you can feel loved. And know you're loved. No matter what other voices might tell you about being unlovable. The one who it matters the most. Says you're lovable. You might say your past is too ugly. You, you have monuments built to your failures or to your sin. 
And Romans 8 1 says, There's no condemnation in Christ. None. He wipes the slate clean. The past is gone. Or you might have a voice that says, You can never change. You know, you're, you're a loser. There's, there's, no, there's no future for you, that kind of thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ we're a new creature. We're a brand new person. There's, there's newness that starts in us that carries on differently. A voice that may say there's no hope. There's just no hope. There's nowhere to turn. Jeremiah 29.11 reminds us that God has plans for us. Not to harm us. Plans for future. Plans for a hope. Or maybe you hear a voice, you can't do anything right. You just, you can't do anything right. You ever, you ever hear that voice? You know, you had the perfectionist that wanted you, and now you just can't do anything right. You give it a heart, and Philippians 4.13 says, I, I do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who sustains me, who works in me. You're stupid. You might have a voice that just says you're stupid. You're a jerk. You're an idiot. You don't. James 1.5 says that, that the Lord will give us wisdom generously. All we got to do is ask, generously, without fault, without saying, you again, you need more wisdom, good. Without fault, wisdom. You have no talent. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says there's a spiritual gift for you. There's talent, there's a place for you in God's body, God's, God's family. You're a quitter, you always quit. Psalm 54 says God will sustain you. You're too scared. You're all fear and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. You can't run the race because Psalm 23, 4 reminds us that we don't have to have fear. We can go into the valley of the shadow of death and not fear. We can face up to death and get through it. Or you're abandoned. You know, maybe a parent abandoned you, maybe a spouse abandoned you, a friend. A, Somebody that meant a lot to you, they abandoned you, and you think now God's going to abandon you as well. Everyone else has. God will as well. Matthew twenty-eight twenty says, No, Christ says, Lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. So look inside. Look in here. That's looking instead of looking back and letting the power of the past keep us from running the race. To be able to recognize that the that the potential of the future is greater. And that God's truth sets me free. It breaks me loose. It takes the chains and pulls it off me. And, and that my life is different. The race I run is different. So I can stop looking back and instead look forward and keep my eyes on the prize. Verse 13 says, Straining toward what is ahead, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That there were, in those days, there was a wreath that that you would get that was the symbol of the victory. And Paul says, you know, we we run this race to try to get this wreath that's that's perishable. But the race that we run as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is imperishable. And here he identifies it's heavenward. It's 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 to where Christ is calling us beyond this world, even to another place. Um. I don't know if because Paul was old. I don't know if because he was in prison and just kind of, you know, wrapped up in his own problem and mess. But he's, in Philippians especially, starts talking a lot about heaven. You know, he who began a good work will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And for me to, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain, he says. Later in this, this chapter, verse 20, he says, we are citizens of heaven. 
We are citizens. That's our home. Heaven is our home. And here he says, lean into it, strain toward it. We kind of lose sight of heaven. I heard one guy say one time, Satan doesn't need to just get us to not believe in heaven. He just, he just tries to get us to not be excited about it. Same difference. We don't, we don't look for, we don't strain, we don't lean into it. Um, there's a, uh, there's a guy who was, was with his wife going to go and celebrate their anniversary. They lived way up north in the cold country and they wanted to come to Arizona to, to, uh, have a, a wonderful anniversary. In fact, it was the place they were going is where their honeymoon was and it was going to be warm. And so they, they couldn't wait. And their schedules were different. So he, he got there earlier than she did a day early. And, uh, he wanted to email her back and let her know that he made it and everything's good. And so he writes out this, this email to send to her. And, uh, in the address, the email address, he left out one letter. And w- without recognizing and realizing that he pushed send. So it never, never came to her. Uh, about the same time, there was a woman in Houston who who uh, was just coming home from a funeral. Her husband had died after about 20 years of marriage, heart attack out of nowhere. And and she went online on emails to, to kind of find out what other people were saying. So not everybody could go to the service, and she wanted to hear what people said. And she turned on her email, looked at the screen, screamed at the top of her lungs, and fell over faint. Her son came running out. What in the world? And he read this email, said this, To my my loving wife. Subject. I arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here. And you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and been checked in. And I just want you to know that everything has has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. P.S. Sure is hot down here. (laughs) When's the last time you just thought about heaven? What heaven's going to be like? Paul says, if you if you can catch a glimpse of the destination that is yours in Christ, you're going to run the race differently. The race you're going to be in is going to be different. When you recognize what's there for you, you're going to run differently. Run the race to win. Run the race to straining, pressing on, no matter the problems, no matter the issues, no matter the circumstances, no matter the setbacks, no matter the voices, no matter your past. Press on. And keep pressing on. And one day it'll be worth it all when you, when you see Jesus face to face. I don't know about you, but I look forward to heaven. There's going to be a new body, which I'm ready for. There's going to be no more sin, no more pain, no more tears. There's going to be feasts, you know, banquet tables, eating all we want to eat without getting fat. <laughs> There's going to be family and friends that are also sinless. So all the, you know, Aunt Mildred and Uncle Ralph who just bugged the heck out of you, they're going to be perfect. No problems family wise. People we haven't seen forever. And there's going to be Jesus. And it's going to be face to face. And he's going to look at us and say, well done. You ran the race. You fought the fight. You kept
pressed on and you pressed on and you pressed on. Come on. This is what I have prepared for you. This is yours. I'd like you to bow your heads. What I love about the grace of Jesus Christ is he, he easily takes you to the, the starting line again and says, let's, let's start over if you need to. He grabs a hold of us and says, if you'll just grab a hold of me, let's run the race. And I want to challenge you. What does that race look like? This would be a great day to start to run the race all out. Lord, I know who you made me to be. I'm not sure what you want me to do. But you lead and I'll follow. I'll step up. For some of you, you know that calling. You know that that's true. It's just you have a past that you drag around that keeps you from running. And today, right at the starting line, is the day you can start to let that thing go. Christ came to the cross to get rid of the past and to focus on the future for you. Your best days are ahead of you. And whatever others would say, whatever you'd say to yourself, whatever the enemy would say, Christ says, let me set you free. Because what's ahead of you is the best. Lean into it. Press on.